inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. And we're two siblings who happen to be blind. Outlook. On Radio Western. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Outlook, first show of April. And this is another pre-record. We're actually recording this just at the end of March here, on the 29th of March. And uh, yeah, I'm in my apartment here in London, and I got Carrie patched in here through Zoom out of Woodstock. How are you doing today, Carrie? Not bad. I always just, I always like to smile. I always smile when I hear you just setting the scene. Yeah, I don't know why I always say patched in or whatever, but... Uh, like we said, we, we do this from, we do it live sometimes, pre-record, so you never know when it might air. So this is actually airing on uh, April 4th. That's right. And uh, I don't know what the weather will be like by the time this is airing, but it's been, <laughs> it's been pretty rough outside here these last couple of days uh, at the yeah, end of March. Yeah, back to winter here. Yeah, back to winter here in Canada, like nine degrees. Or minus nine, I mean, in Ontario, so. (laughs) But Care, today we have another guest to kick off April, and we'll be talking about a topic that we love. It's probably my favorite topic to discuss on Outlook. Fashion? (laughs) Yeah, well, maybe not quite. Maybe not quite fashion, but uh, I was going to go a little bit uh, more more into uh, and referring to Braille specifically. And actually, Uh we had, uh, we spoke about Braille, obviously a topic we love to talk about on this show. And Along with music, it's one of my favorite things in life, Braille is. And we've been talking about accessibility with Braille on this show. And we actually recently had Purdy's Chocolatier on the show. And they've uh, released a Braille box of their chocolates. So definitely check out that episode if you haven't already. And it's just really great to see Braille being incorporated more and more in the mainstream to bring awareness to this important tool that we have as blind or low vision individuals and so it's just great to see this continuing and today care we've lined up a guest we'll be talking about another product that includes braille yeah it's exciting here in my office here i've got multiple braille things and like you said including that chocolate box and and as a kid i never i never really dreamed i'd see braille one day on a box of chocolates um but also i do love talking fashion as far as i can to discuss it and so i have a carry connection as brian calls him today uh, that i discovered with, I guess it was last year, the end of 2021, somewhere there. And we've been communicating since then. And she's the founder of iDesign, Alexa Ivanovich. Yes. Hi. Hi, Alexa. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Brian. I'm so excited to be here. I can't stop smiling knowing how much you love uh, Braille, Brian. That makes me so happy every time to hear that. But uh, yeah, so I'm Alexa Ivanovich. And I'm a Braille fashion designer. And like Carrie just said, I uh, started a company called iDesign that makes fashion with fully legible Braille. And where are you calling in from today, Alexa? Currently calling in from Chicago. But you're, you're originally uh, from Canada, is that right? Yeah. Uh, so I actually went to university in Canada, in Toronto. And that's where I started the business. It started as a research project when I was in school. So uh, it's been Canadian-based this entire time, and now uh, that it's been so well-received, we're just sort of expanding into new markets. I mean, there's no shortage of people who can benefit from products with Braille and the advocacy it brings. So now we're starting to expand into the American market. 
Wow. Well, um, maybe do you want to tell us then a bit about before you expanded into the American market? Have you always loved fashion then since you were young or? Oh, yeah. Carrie, I am obsessed with fashion ever since I was really little. Uh, my fondest memories were always playing dress up. Um, my mom would find me just decked out in all of her clothes or I'd put makeup on, but really they were just like permanent markers drawing on eyelashes on my face. So I've, uh, I've always had a thing for fashion for sure. Uh, super drawn to uh, beads or feathers, anything kind of with uh, really nice textures. But um, it really wasn't until I went to university, I studied fashion communication in school. And it wasn't until I went to school that I started to look at fashion in a bit of a different lens. And I fell in love with design again, but in a completely different way. So before I saw it as a really great way to express yourself, and it still is. But in school, we learned a lot about the lack of accessibility or diversity in the fashion industry. And so that's when I kind of saw fashion as a way to create social change and really started to be interested in how we could kind of combine these worlds together to make a stronger kind of output for everyone. So yeah, fashion, absolutely love clothes so much, especially all the different textures. But it's been really cool even just to think how that love for fashion has evolved over the years. Yeah, it's fun when it's something that you've been always interested in and loved and passionate about. And then once you get older and you realize you can go to school and study it and, and then it actually expands your knowledge of that thing and uh, you can see for all new in all new ways and uh, do something totally different with it as an old adult, which is what you appear to be doing. So that's awesome. Totally. I always dreamt of being a fashion designer when I was little, but uh, never did I think that would actually happen. So every now and then I refer to myself as like 10-year-old little Alexis jumping up and down, knowing that she actually did it. So uh, it's really cool to think back about. Now, I'd like to ask then a little bit about your, your connection with, and I guess maybe just through, the un- through university, I know you went to, to Ryerson uh, here in mm-hmm. Canada. So how, what was your experience with disability or blindness? I, I don't believe you're disabled yourself. Is that, is that correct? You don't have a disability. Um, correct. So how did you, did you have any connections growing up with disability? Did you know anyone who was blind or had any sort of disabilities? Or like kind of how did you, it's just, we, we love talking about Braille and all these topics, but it's even sometimes more exciting in some ways when it's someone who isn't blind who is doing this stuff. And of course, we'll get into all the consultations and that you do work with a lot of blind people on these projects, which is a big part of it. Obviously, we don't want, you know, sighted people or people without a disability to develop something without any sort of communication with the community um, out there. But I'm just kind of curious what originally got your interest in, in Braille and, and this whole idea, because it's, we've had someone on our show a few years ago who is sighted. Um, she's, you know, in high school, actually learned Braille just for fun. And she used it to read in the car because she had car sickness. Like, it's just so interesting sometimes when, when, when we find somebody who isn't blind getting into to Braille. So we could talk well, a yeah, little bit she, about that. Well, yeah, and she learned, she actually read it with her fingers, which maybe Which is pretty rare, yeah, for a sighted person to yeah, read Braille with her fingers. So it was just a really unique yeah. situation when we, we came across her and had her on the show. Yeah. So it's great, again, to have someone else who isn't blind talking about Braille. Yeah, um, this girl that you just mentioned who can read Braille um, through touch in the car, that sounds so impressive. I know I myself, 
um, I can read Braille just visually and identifying the different characters, but haven't quite mastered the, the touch aspect yet. And that's like um, our mom. She's, yeah. a, she's the same. She reads with yeah. her eyes, but she doesn't, yeah. she doesn't oh. feel it. But. <laughs> Most parents who learn Braille do just, if they're sighted, they right. learn with their eyes also. Yeah. So it's, you know, not many people take that on with their fingers like uh, Caroline did, but. But yeah, yeah, like growing up with disability, I'm sure, you know, it's around, but, you know, I don't know if you're my age or a little younger, Brian's age or what, but, you know, when we were younger, disability wasn't talked about as much. You know, now we're in this world where inclusion is sort of the word of the day and, you know, accessibility, equality, all these words that we'd use. Um, Back when we were younger, it was less of a thing. Yeah, to hear that's incorporated into the schooling. I mean, that's probably something that might be more of a recent development with a lot of these courses that they're talking about diversity and inclusion more so than they ever did in the past. Yeah, no, absolutely. So to kind of circle back a little bit, you're totally right. I don't identify as having a disability. But what's really interesting is that that kind of allowed me to approach the entire design process, sort of just from an outside perspective. And really, when I was learning about it in school, it was totally brand new. It was one of the things that had just sort of come up. So by no means was disability or accessibility uh, kind of trending at the time. So these courses I would have taken back in 2012. And so it was kind of just starting to come into the light, but really wasn't a trendy topic at all. And I just remember this was really the first time I had ever heard about the lack of accessibility in the industry. And that's really what piqued my curiosity so much about it. I mean, knowing that I was in those courses with hundreds of other students and they didn't really have that same connection to it. I think that just made it that much more unique. It wasn't something that was talked about or wasn't cared about as much. Um, Whereas totally what you were just mentioning now, it's kind of the hot topic. If you don't have a diversity inclusion board on your company, you've kind of just been canceled completely. So this all started back in 2012. And when I had that course, um, it was led by a professor named Dr. Ben Berry. Um, He's actually a dean at Parsons in New York City now at their fashion school. And it was really new. It was one of the main reasons he was hired, I believe, at Ryerson. He just brought this really new, fresh perspective and really wanted to focus on fashion in different communities that have been overlooked historically and traditionally in fashion. So I worked really closely with him. I just really was so interested in everything that he was teaching us in this new perspective And by the time it came to my fourth year, I was like, okay, 2015, 2016, still there wasn't this mainstream focus on disability or accessibility or even really diversity at that point. And I was like, okay, I need to learn more about this. I need to learn as much as possible. And that's when I started working with the different individuals in the blindness community. But in terms of Braille, just off the bat, um, as I was mentioning at the very beginning, I've always just really been drawn to different textures. And so I think that was kind of the initial appeal to Braille, knowing that there was this beautiful set of textures, but had all this function to it. So the idea of someone being able to read through touch, I just found it so fascinating. And then additionally, from a design perspective, I love black and white, anything high contrast, really just focusing on different shapes and sort of like that abstract feel. And so just from a visual perspective, I've always thought Braille was really beautiful. And I remember so um, uh, so evidently that I was walking around when I was in my fourth year of school trying to come up with 
what my topic would be for my final capstone. I knew I wanted it to be disability focused or focused on marginalized communities of some sort in the fashion industry. And I was just walking around doing some window shopping as I kind of often do for inspiration. And I came across this really beautiful beaded jacket and Brian Carey, I don't know what it was, but I kind of just had this aha moment. I was drawn to the jacket for obvious reasons from the past, just being so into fashion and those particular textures. But when I came across it, something just happened. And I really pictured all those beads just moving to become Braille. It's like, what if this piece could maintain its beauty and aesthetic appeal, but then have all this additional function that could then empower a completely different community and then could start advocating? And I just remember I ran home, did all this research, almost nothing existed um, on the topic of disability consumerism, let alone in fashion. So like we were saying, totally not a topic in the media or mainstream at that point. And I was like, okay, this is clearly a problem in and of itself. So started working with a lot of people and that's kind of just where it all came to be. We started talking about different challenges with fashion what it means to look or feel blind in those misconceptions. But then even just to more simple questions like, is fashion important to you or trends in clothing? Or how do you decide what to wear or organize your closet? So there's really just so many things to be able to talk about, but really just stemmed from that kind of just really being upset that so many markets are overlooked. So it really all started in that 2015 course about diversity. And now we're here been a long journey. Yeah. And that's great to hear, like you say, about your professor there, that professors are, are being mindful of this sometimes because we do, we need this discussion to happen everywhere, including in, in school, in, in, in universities where professors can teach uh, units on it, courses on it, and, and hopefully do that in a, in a mindful and um, creative way and sort of so get people to realize and because anybody could become disabled at any time. And exactly. And it's about universal design. It's about just making it easy for everybody. And if we have to kind of convince the world that, well, here's another reason why you should do this, we will, but um, we just need to have these discussions. So I'm excited for you on being on Outlook today and just maybe even to have a, a wider discussion about fashion in general um, with discussing the company, of course, because uh, you know, I have a lot of thoughts on it as much as I'm not, <laughs> as I'm not like as into fashion as, as some. Um, I still, I still have thoughts, so <laughs> we'll get to those. But um. yeah, I mean, fashion is definitely a, an interesting discussion because for me, I mean, I've, you know, part of just being a guy, but also, you know, some, some guys are more fashionable than others. And it's, I, I uh, obviously I have an importance in what I wear, but I've never, I was born with light perception, but I'm almost totally blind for, for these purposes. So someone like Carrie, who used to be able to see a bit more and she's lost some of her vision, has a bit more of that, that connection. Obviously, I, I still, you know, I want to make sure I look nice and wear nice clothing. And I do have, you know, my, my brother and my parents and people to help me out with, with some of those decisions. And, and the more inclusive that these uh, that products become, the, the better it is. You know, I have just a lot, of, a lot of t-shirts or some nice sweaters and then collar shirts that I'll wear. But I do generally keep it quite simple. But part of that also may be because we just haven't had that accessibility growing up to where we can go to a store and find these accessible products with Braille information. And care. I'm sure you'll get into that about her products where there's there's actual information about the the size and the and the washing or how to wash it properly and all of these other instructions that you just don't think about when you can't see because they're just not out there in your face all the time when you're at a store or when you're looking through like going through your closet so it's uh 
it's really interesting to to think about, and I think that makes for a wider discussion. One thing I also wanted to quickly hit, just because you mentioned it, I don't want to forget, is the whole idea about Braille being, as you said, beautiful in this whole, this art itself. And that's the thing I always really liked about it, too. I'm a musician and into music, so that's kind of my creativity, but still a very creative person. And I, one thing I really loved about Braille is just the, the designs of, of a word. And I, you know, I think about how a whole word feels in my mind, and I just love the shapes and, and that whole con- concept of Braille. So I just think that's a really neat point that you touched on there as well. Yeah, Braille is beautiful. And we can have a whole discussion about uh, the recent book that came out there, Plant Eyes. Uh, I don't know if you um, heard of that one. um, Leona uh, Godin wrote it. Uh, She's a friend of mine. And she discusses all aspects of of blindness and culture and things. And she does talk about Braille, has a chapter on it. And, um, you know, I do like that these shirts aren't all about making Braille like a gimmick. Like, it's not like you're making giant Braille dots because it's just, it's right. It's like you say, it's functional and fashionable. Absolutely. And that was something, um, I'm happy you brought that up, Carrie. That was something that was really important to me from the start is making sure that there wasn't any appropriation of Braille in any sense. That first and foremost, the Braille needs to be legible, it needs to be functional, and it needs to provide that initial purpose. And so that's why it's been so important to include the community every step of the way. And I mean, it started off as a research project. So, so much has gone into it. I remember the very first prototype I ever made had three different bead sizes. We tested different orientations, different spacing to kind of be able to see, okay, what is actually going to be the most functional and uh, what's going to work the best and testing those different fastening techniques. So knowing that you're constantly going to be touching the braille, you want to make sure that it's not wiggling, that there's not a chance that a bead will potentially fall off. So those are all things that through those co-design processes in school, we were able to sort of master. So now we're kind of in more of the design phase, but it's kind of appalling to me sometimes, actually, when I find different items that have Braille on them, but are completely flat or 2D. And I'm like, okay, well, part of the Braille part is that it's supposed to be 3D. So I was like, who is this really being made for? Um, or like you were saying, when it's like giant Braille, I'm like, okay, the idea that could be cool, but unless there's sort of a community behind it that was fully in support of it. I don't know. I, I would always want to make sure that it's completely functional and like who is the intended audience for it. So I think it's really important. I'm happy you brought that up. Yeah. And that really yeah, illustrates exactly. there, like you say, that the consultation that you went through, because Carrie, we talk a lot about these, these products that we've seen out there before where the Braille is sometimes squished together or sometimes it's, it is large or Sometimes it don't, they don't have spaces between words. Sometimes maybe someone thinks a capital is a space or again, it just it goes to show sort of the lack of research and, and asking from from the community. Um, so that is an important thing, because that's also what Leona Godan touches on in her book is this whole idea that part of what Braille, the true meaning of Braille is this easy thing that glides underneath your fingertips. And so when you're when you're changing its its um, its format and the way it's displayed, it totally changes sort of the public's conception of what braille really is and it it sort of takes away from from the real uh goal here i think um and one other thing i want to touch on there that just you mentioned is we're making the you make these products but they're available for anyone it's the the good thing about making braille bringing braille into the mainstream is even somebody who isn't blind or visually impaired or even doesn't read braille they might still get one of these shirts just because it's neat and it, it looks nice so i think that's another great point uh about all of this 
Absolutely. And like, that's one of the biggest things is we're making them so that way they're functional, they're functional, but they're also aesthetically pleasing. So like you said, absolutely anyone can wear it. And that's one of the biggest conversation starters that we're kind of trying to create is bringing up these conversations and different perspectives on what accessibility can be and hoping that coming across one of these Braille t-shirts will sort of try to make you think about how inaccessible some of your other products are or other experiences or services that you really enjoy and really just trying to encourage others to really take accessibility seriously and start to integrate it into their everyday lives and whatever it is that they do. I think we were even talking earlier um, that at any point, anyone can have a disability. So it really is important and integral to what we're doing as a society to start really taking this seriously. Yeah, I think of beading on clothes. I remember my sister had a, one of those bedazzlers, I think they were called. Yes. <laughs> But um, of course, for me, fashion now, as Brian was saying, I used to be able to see more. So it used to be about contrast. It used to be about color. Um, but now it's all about texture for me, all about texture. So I, I usually shop. Um, I haven't shopped as much during this pandemic, uh, even though online's the option. But um, I, I shop usually with my sister. She's one of the few people I kind of trust who knows my sort of style, who doesn't pick things out for me per se, but does give me some options, right? And uh, so I'm always, you know, she knows now to look for things with, um, she knows certain textures that I won't wear and things like that. Um, I also have some sensitivity in my skin and stuff. So that plays into it. But, uh, but yeah, so fashion for me is all about texture. So the, the fact that you can use Braille and you can make it with beads or pearls or whatever, and, and it's, it's really beautiful and um, part of the shirt. I was just going to add to that, Carrie. So we've got the texture from the beads, but knowing how important that sense is, especially amongst the visually impaired community, we've also mm -hmm. been working really hard to make sure all of the other fabrics or whatnot, like the other materials that are used also have that really nice sensation. So for example, the shirts that we have, pretty much one of the very first things that anyone says is, oh my goodness, this shirt is so soft. This might be the softest shirt I've ever felt. And that kind of goes into that entire conversation about um, texture. And so making sure that the shirt is really soft. So that complements then the textures of the beads. Or for example, we have this denim jacket design that we prototyped and there are multiple stripes on the back that have different categories of information with the braille. But on that denim jacket, I use a special type of paint for each stripe. So then not only are there visual stripes on there, but texturally you can feel the difference. And so that's an easy way to indicate between different categories of information on the back, or we are going to be releasing a long blue dress soon. And that um, particular material is really silky and smooth and really soft to the skin. But then in addition to that really beautiful texture and sensation on the skin, that one also doesn't wrinkle. So that's something that you also kind of want to think about. So if this is going to be an easy to care for product. Um, so I just wanted to mention that there's the texture of the Braille, but really it goes far beyond the Braille, even in the types of conversations that we're having and how we can really make these products as uh, kind of easy to use and wear as possible. So when, when you were starting this and you had the initial ideas and you were developing research, even back as far as school, what kind of um, reception did it get from others when you would tell them what you were doing and whether, you know, like, not, not to throw anybody under the bus here, but um, just in general, were you, was everybody like, oh, that sounds fascinating? Or did they have suggestions? Or were they like, why, you know, like, how was that? Yeah, um, 
That's also really interesting and kind of goes back to what we were saying about how diversity and inclusion haven't always been hot topics or trendy. So I remember that when I was first starting this, especially among some of my fashion peers, um, there'd be people that say like, oh, like, that's cool, but why? Or a big uh, response I would get pretty often is, well, if you can't see, why do you care what you look like? And so just those immediate interactions, I was like, okay, so not only is the community being misrepresented um, or overlooked, there's no research on the topic at all. And then all these general opinions from cited individuals I've been involved in, those in the fashion industry who are supposed to be creating a change in the industry, don't even think that this is a problem. So I'm like, okay, this just further solidified how much research needed to be done and how much awareness needed to be built. So there was a really big range in the types of feedback. Someone would either think it was absolutely amazing and groundbreaking and in disbelief that it didn't really exist beforehand, or there was the thought that this wasn't actually important. Um, when it came to the actual visually impaired community, uh, in terms of the um, interviews, there were a lot, there was a lot of curiosity and a lot of that kind of, I noticed, ranged based on the age of the person I was speaking to. So if someone was a bit older, they have already gone through so much of their life not needing to have braille on clothing as a main identifier to kind of know what was what. So thought it was interesting, but may not actually adopt it. Um, but then those who were younger that knew they had a long lifeline ahead of them, that this was something that could kind of be used or even more of just like a personality type of statement and more of that value based and advocacy aspect were so for. So it was really interesting to see that shift. And now that we've done so much more research over the past four or five years, kind of seeing how those perspectives have changed from the older demographic to now be more accepting. Um, so it's a range of, um, of opinions, but I feel like that's really common too. Whenever you're doing something that's brand new, anything that's kind of unknown, you never really, never know how it's going to be perceived. But really happy to say that since we started, the response has been incredible since the actual launch of the business uh, prior to just research. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just disappointing to hear that, but that's why we have to keep talking. And that's why on Outlook, we love to speak with blind people to hear their outlooks, but we also speak with anyone who is doing the kind of work you're doing because. We need to have these conversations across all, all lines. And it's, it is disappointing that there's such stereotypes out there. And often I'll think, am I just making, maybe I'm making more of this. Maybe I exaggerate in my head. Maybe it's not really, but then it is out there. These, these things like, well, if you can't see, why do you care what you look like? Why do you care what you're wearing? And yeah. you know, that's, it, it's upsetting to hear that, but it's, it's important that we know that that's what a lot of people still think. And then we have to um, it just sort of gives us more motivation to keep doing what we're doing. Absolutely. And I mean, that's a really big reason why we target so many sighted individuals and fashion focused individuals in everything that we're doing as well, because it's all about changing those perceptions and making sure that the greater public realizes that this is something that is very important. So if we were to work only with the visually impaired community, that awareness aspect may not really grow as much as it has. So it's really important to us to kind of work with both demographics so that way it can become more of an awareness and education um, point. And that's all about inclusivity to where, you know, we, of course, sometimes things have to be done differently and there's, there's separate methods for things. But the real goal is to make things 
user-friendly user for, for everyone, whether you're blind or not. So to have a product that works for everyone makes it even more, it's going to bring the awareness there, whereas if it's sort of a separate product just for, for blind people. Um, so that's, that's, that's a big point of it. We are listening to Outlook here today on Radio Western, or you may be listening in the future as a podcast. We are speaking with Alexa Jovanovich, founder of iDesign, company, Canadian company that works with the blind and visually impaired community to create fashion with fully legible braille. We're going to take a quick break now on Radio Western, but then we'll be right back to speak more with Alexa here today on Outlook. Outlook. Radio Western. Welcome back to Outlook today. We are speaking with Alexa Ivanovich of iDesign. And today we were having a nice discussion about fashion and Braille, which you don't often hear together. Uh, I don't know, Brad, do you want me to read my, my Braille notes here? I have a few um, things that were sent to me. We, in the second half, I'd like to talk about the fact that I have ordered one of these shirts. Yeah, I think you should definitely... I did show it to you, but... Talk about that whole process, because it just sounded like a really inclusive obviously we've been talking about and of course you wouldn't expect i wouldn't be surprised but i think it kind of maybe went above and beyond your expectations care when you when you made the order and and all of what was included yes so it's uh, it's nice when you get a product sent to you that you order online uh that uh and by the way you can order and check out these shirts yourself uh i guess it, so the website is idesign.com Com, yep, and that's spelled I is A I L L E design dot com, right. and we will ask you there in a minute here, uh, Alexa, about the name and and how you chose this name as well, because that's also an interesting, interesting mm -hmm. thing. But yeah, so the the shirt came in the mail, and it came with two pieces of um, braille paper or two cards. Uh, so the first one I have here that says "Thank you, Carrie," and you spell my name right, which is always a plus. Uh, enjoy your new shirt, Alexa which is very personal and very lovely. And then it also came with uh, sort of care instructions and in, which read braille t-shirt, white, black braille, polyester, cotton, and rayon. And then it says premium crystal pearls. And, and finally, machine wash, hold inside out, uh, dry, low heat. And then some sort of tactile thing, which I assume is like a, a signature or a logo on the bottom of the cards. Um, but this braille, these Braille cards are in grade one Braille, and uh, I'm just sort of saying that to explain to everyone listening. Uh, if you're not aware, grade one Braille, there's different, uh, there's two levels of Braille. One of them is contracted, so that means there's contractions for certain words, and, and it, it makes it shorter. Um, but Braille, grade one Braille is good, a good thing to start with on this sort of card because not everybody reads grade two Braille. So, um, But yeah, so I have my shirt upstairs, and it's, um, like it says here, beautiful pearl beading braille and it, you know you do worry that the braille might come off or uh, you know if you're washing it or touching it or wearing it um, and it's it's just so well put on there and I'm not um, familiar with product and, and fashion as far as actual design so um, but Alexa maybe do you want to tell us a bit about iDesign and maybe explain the name and how that you came up with that uh, or the logo yeah, absolutely. So with the name iDesign, as we were just mentioning, it's spelled A-I-L-L-E, but it's pronounced I. And the name actually comes from the French verb adler, which means to go or to move forward. So essentially, 
what it means is that everything that we're doing here at iDesign is the direction that we want fashion to move forward into, really the direction we want all of the world to go into. Inclusivity is just so important. And so we felt that that was a name that really captured our values, but then was kind of cute that it also was pronounced just like the physical eyes, knowing that we're working directly with Braille and the blind and visually impaired community, but even just the personal sense of the word I. So knowing that our pieces are designed to empower and increase independence. And then with the actual design of the logo, it's spelled A-I-L-L-E, but over top of the letter I, there's two dots. And it's actually the Braille character for the letter I. So it's incorporating Braille into the actual logo design. That little bit of Braille also explains how to actually say the name. So there are a lot of little elements here and there that we've added. And the um, the signature that you were just mentioning, Carrie, on that accessibility card, we've got an embossed version of our logo that we like to include on all of our um, tactile pages whenever we're kind of making marketing material. So that way you can actually feel the experience of the brand as well in as many formats as possible. It makes me so happy to hear how much you liked that packaging. So we've got the Braille pieces that get added. And then um, another uh, favorite, especially amongst the uh, sighted consumers, is that all of the tissue paper that we use to wrap our pieces has simulated Braille. So we've got kind of that visual identifier using Braille in a print format. And then you've got the tactile Braille with the accessibility cards that it comes with. But what you were saying, too, about the actual beadwork and hoping that it doesn't fall off. That was why our research process was so important in school. There is no way that we want these beads to fall off, right? It could be a completely different sentence or character. Um, so that was one of the really important things that we did, which was kind of great as to it being a research project. It allowed us to have so much time to fully develop the product and make sure that not only were they not falling off, but that it was really smooth and easy to read and that they were easy to care for. So like the card said, they're also machine washable. So you really don't have to worry that beads are secured on uh, so well. And it's really cool to hear not only is the Braille legible, but we've gotten a lot of feedback that because the um, actual pearls that we have on the shirt have such a nice smooth finish, it's actually really pleasant to have under your fingers. Um, several people have mentioned if they have a little bit of anxiety, they might just kind of rub their fingers along the braille a little bit and it's quite calming. So it's cool even after the fact to see or hear about uh, some of the other use cases there have been. And uh, yeah, no, we're just really happy with how it's come together. Awesome. Yeah. And I ordered the, my shirt is the white one, I believe. Is it, yeah. I think it's, yeah, it said right there on the card. So, um, and so how many different sort of versions of, of your clothing do you have now? You said something about a dress or a jacket. I'm excited. Yeah, I think that's in the works, right? It's, it's, it's in the works yeah. for the future. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so right now on the website, we launched with t-shirts. And if you think about it, the t-shirt's kind of the most inclusive piece out there. It can be worn by absolutely any gender, any age, any kind of social demographic. So we launched with a t-shirt to kind of show again what our values are as a company, that in the end, these are pieces that can be worn by absolutely anyone. So the t-shirt that we kind of love the most is actually the one that Carrie got. It's a white t-shirt and it has black braille beadwork. And the phrase on it says, diversity includes disability. 
And so there's really high contrast between the beadwork and the t-shirt. And that one's been kind of the crowd favorite. This phrase itself just has so much value and really just makes a statement about who you are and what your own values are. And we have another shirt that's white and that one has silver beadwork. So it's more of a monochromatic look. And the text reads, my plain white tee. So more of that functional aspect that we kind of talked about in the beginning, where being able to use the Braille beadwork to fully identify what a piece of clothing was. And then we've also got a black t-shirt. That one has silver Braille that reads, fashion is for everyone. And then something that we launched uh, about a year ago is that with all of our t-shirts now, you can actually choose your own custom phrase to put on it. So send us the phrase and then we'll convert that into the grade one braille Carrie was mentioning. And you can choose absolutely anything that you'd like for your t-shirt to say. And um, the other pieces that we have, those were all kind of initial prototypes that we made during our research stages back in university. So one thing that I really wanted to do then was as we were testing the different um, faceting techniques and braille legibility and the sizes, et cetera, Every time we made a new prototype, we were also testing the aesthetics of it. So we would use a different design. So the very first shirt we made was a white collared shirt where we were testing all of the beadwork. But then from there, we made a black dress that tested all of the beadwork. So you have different fabrics as well or different color contrasts. So the very first one was the white collared shirt with black beads. Whereas our second one was a black dress with black beads. So again, more of that monochromatic look. So not only testing the legibility, but certain aesthetics, certain styles and placement. And um, a piece that we're going to be launching quite soon that we're really excited about is a blue dress. So that one's going to have Braille on the front. There'll be a high contrast. And we're currently working right now with different community members to determine what that Braille beadwork should actually say. And what sort of story we can convey and what conversations we can start. But the blue dress will be the next one in the pipeline. But we're hoping that this year we can release quite a few more pieces. The past two years were all about really building credibility as a brand and gaining as much um, insight as possible from the community about what we're doing. But now that we've kind of reached to this point, we're really excited to grow and start putting some of our other initial prototypes into production. So this will be a really big year for us. What about, a, a, you mentioned something about a jean jacket. Is that yes. ever? Yes, the jean jacket, Carrie. I'm laughing because that has been by far the crowd favorite. Almost every conversation I have, someone asks me when they can get the denim jacket. And Yeah, uh, I'd like to get one. <laughs> that'll probably be the big sort of finale piece in some ways, maybe about a year out, maybe even two years. Um, one thing that's really important to note is that everything that we make is made here in North America, made sustainably and ethically. And uh, believe it or not, something I didn't know going into this, but uh, creating denim is actually very difficult to do in North America and keeping the costs low. So we want to make sure that when it does come time to release this piece, it's also attainable. So making sure that we can kind of work as hard as possible to make this jacket, but something that's actually going to be 
attainable in the end. So working on it, I promise most every week I, uh, I get a question asking when this can come out. So uh, I promise you're not the only one waiting for yeah. it, but you'll be one of the first to know once it is ready. I heard that come up on a bunch awesome. of the, the podcasts and interviews that I checked out with you um, in preparation for today's show. And another product that you have tying into the last two years that I wanted to briefly mention is th- that you have Braille masks. And I guess actually a Braille mask was on display at the ROM, the Royal Un- so Ontario cool. Museum in the Unmasking the Pandemic exhibit, which I think people can still actually go check out. Yeah, um, that was a huge honor. Oh, my goodness. But yeah, I just found out recently that they've extended the exhibition um, uh, length. So I think it might actually be on display maybe even until September. So I think I read, yeah. to be stopping last month. Yeah, so super cool. Um, but yeah, so because of the pandemic, we ended up making masks. We partnered with a company in Canada who was already creating masks and they had come across what we were doing and really wanted to create an inclusive version. So we made a series of masks. They are available in burgundy, kind of maroon red, uh, a deep blue, like an indigo blue and a black. They come in all different sizes. So that way they're fitted to the face. They have the adjustable, um, earpieces and we chose two different phrases one of them says chin up mask on so kind of keep your head up we're all in this together and the second one is i love your mask which happens to be the name of the company that we worked with to create them but also a little bit deeper i love your mask is almost kind of a statement of respect i mean i love that you're wearing a mask and kind of respecting my safety essentially so we made those and then um, it was really cool. We ended up getting a, um, a piece in the Globe and Mail. And there was a piece about um, what we were doing. And they mentioned the masks. And then pretty much a couple of days later, I got an email from the ROM who had come across that article and said, we're doing this exhibit, we would love to have you be a part of it. And it was really amazing it was such an honor they ended up selling them in the gift shop as well we still have a few available and um yeah i mean in the exhibit they had masks i think there's about a hundred from all over the world so even just that being picked to be amongst these masks it was even cooler because there was actually two disability related masks on display so that was just such a great moment I think for disability even to be in this exhibit and have two different references so we were really honored we were on display next to a mask made by Izzy Camilleri she has an adaptive line called is iz and she made a mask specifically for those who are uh, identified as deaf or hard of hearing so there is like the clear piece in front of it so to have two pieces in the exhibit that were uh, kind of symbols for the disability community and showing that there needed to be representation in such a prestigious place. I thought that was a really great um, part on uh, behalf of the ROM to be doing something like that. So that was a huge honor. Yeah, that is amazing. And of course, we blindness is the big focus on this show, but we talk about all disabilities and we want to start talking more and more about other disabilities too. So it's just great to see that, that that's incorporated in this exhibit. Just a couple of real quick things I wanted to mention before I forget. The one kind of totally... A, a bit of a jump off topic, but I just love how how much went in went into the logo and the name in your description earlier there, and the fact um, that it being derived from the word "aller" in French um, just made me think because my yeah. sister and I here we both 
got guide dogs. We've only had one guide dog each in our past, but we both got them from Mira in Montreal, and all the French commands for the dog were in, fr- obviously, in French. And um, so one of the commands to, for the dog to start moving was allez. So I just... Yeah, it was mo- for, it was like, yeah, go, move forward. Go, yeah, go ahead. So, yeah, go. I just so, thought that was really cool. I love that. I thought that too. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing I wanted to mention, right when Carrie was telling me about these shirts and then I got to check hers out, I thought immediately of when we were growing up, we had a, a good friend, we have a good a childhood friend that we still know today, and and um, his mom actually made me a shirt with Braille on it, and it was it was made out of puffy paint, which I think you mentioned actually in an interview and came up today briefly, uh, the whole idea about washing this and it coming off and the fact that yeah, this was so cool when I got it and it was such a neat kind of novelty thing, but yeah, I don't think it really survived because of that, so again, that's just another important thing to think about when you're designing of course is the the durability of this and and will this be able to be washed and still be intact absolutely and to that point too in some of those initial co-design conversations we were having there were a couple individuals who mentioned that they had come across clothing with braille previously but that it was never really made very well or made to last like you were mentioning or kind of just the feel being more of that puppy paint feel so Maybe it's okay in the beginning, but really doesn't hold up. Or even some that uh, use embroidery for the Braille. Over time, those threads just kind of fall and they're not going to be as legible because Braille really, you need to have that perfect dome shape in order to be able to read it long term. So uh, that was another thing when we were kind of doing this research. Right away, we ruled out doing the Braille in um, um uh, in embroidery and doing any sort of like puffy paint like treatment it really felt like beadwork was the only concrete form that wasn't going to budge over time so i'm really happy you brought that up as cool as it was it would have uh, it would have been way cooler if it lasted yeah totally it was- you're right brian i do like that there's a the, the braille eye character dots two and four is what i is in braille is the dot for uh, in your in your name that is really interesting my other question I had that I asked you recently, um, but I'll ask it again on the air for our listeners and everyone. So uh, these shirts, when there's Braille on them, there's no print on them. Is that true? Correct. So right now, the statement is completely in Braille. And uh, the only text that appears on them is our logo in the bottom corner in embroidery. But it kind of makes the Braille stand out that much more and really kind mm-hmm. of encourages that conversation. Whereas if the text was immediately above it, someone would likely assume that what's above is exactly what's below. And so maybe you would see it, think that's cool and just continue. But kind of that curiosity behind just having the Braille is really what starts those conversations. And uh, that's kind of what's really important. One of the biggest pieces of um, feedback or commentary we've had about the pieces is the number of conversations these have started and almost like friendships that kind of are built out of it or pieces of awareness. So that was one of the reasons. But I mean, as the brand kind of expands, there's always room for improvements. Maybe at some point we'll have phrases above that have the text and both the Braille. So it's kind of just a different design aesthetic or a different purpose in the end. Right. Yeah. That's you can a, have, you yeah. could eventually offer both, but I, yeah. I can see your reasoning and I'm, I'm up for it. You know, it's, it's, you can look at it a bunch of ways, but that's, that uh, makes sense to me. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point because right away. Yeah. When I, when I saw Carrie's shirt and felt it there, I think I asked you right away, Carrie, is like, is there print on this? Did you ask someone? And I think my initial thing was like, why would, why wouldn't you want print so that people could see what you had and, and maybe talk to you about it in that way. But I think that's an excellent point. And I think that really makes a lot of sense that if the print's there, then, People might find it neat, but they're not maybe going to be as as willing to stop. And I think maybe at 
especially if someone who can see is, is wearing it, that might even be, but even someone who's blind, it looks nice too. So it's not just, you know, just a whatever kind of shirt. It has a, I think it would stand out so people would come up and, and ask more about it. And that's really what we want is more discussion around Braille. So Absolutely. But I thought maybe I would, I would circle back again a little bit, just, just again on, this, on this, whole, this whole stereotype that is out in the community about blind people not caring what they look like because they can't see. And I just, I just don't think that can be talked about enough. So I, I just really want to congratulate you with this product because it, it really does, we really do need to change society to, to realize that just because somebody can't see it doesn't mean that, you know, it's still part of the, the world and how you feel about yourself. And, and I, I notice it maybe not as much being into fashion, but more so when I've been in the, in the dating scene where people kind of say, oh, you could, you could be with anyone because you don't care what they look like. And it's just such a dismissive kind of view. So it's so great to see this positive message towards fashion being inclusive and, and really trying to incorporate uh, blind people in the, in the process. So maybe if you want to talk a little bit about what the consultation was like with, with blind people and kind of who you, maybe a little bit about yeah. who you worked with or the, yeah, how, how that did experience you access, was. How, how did you find them? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think those are all great points. Um, so when we first started the research, I um, worked to create kind of a call for participants and I uh, sent that out to different blindness-related organizations in Toronto, kind of just explained that I was a student at Ryerson, that I was doing this research and really interested in learning about different experiences related to fashion. So I believe the group I ended up circulating it to were the CNIB, Canadian National Institute of the Blind. I think I sent it out to AMI and also to Braille Literacy Canada. And it was kind of cool, actually. So sending it out, we'd get emails coming in, and I was starting to meet with people one-on-one. And uh, it was really cute because in some situations, there were friend groups that kind of chose one person as the guinea pig to come meet me, see what this was all about. And then immediately (laughs) after, we're like, okay, this was really cool. She's good. Like, you can go meet with her, too. So then all these waves of people were coming in and I was like, oh no, like my research project is due. I was like, but I would love to talk to you like in a month or so. I was like, I just needed X amount of participants for right now to kind of build a bit of a a base for what we're doing. But since then, um, we've been able to sort of expand internationally in terms of the number of people that we're working with. And it's also really great because then that also expanded the types of perspectives because some different perspectives are going to be based on where you're located geographically. So that actually happened quite timely with the pandemic. Uh, so I started meeting quite a few people over Instagram or Facebook and starting conversations there. And from there, you'd meet one person who would then introduce you to another, to another. Um, so actually right at the beginning of the pandemic, we happened to be in New York City the week that COVID happened, uh, which is a little scary in itself. But um, we had met someone over Instagram. Her name's Katherine Harrison. She's visually impaired and she's a model. And she was in New York City and just so happened to be doing a photo shoot and reached out that she really loved our clothes and that if possible, if I could get to New York, she'd love to include our clothes in the photo shoot she was doing. So we flew out there. That was one of those a uh, 10-year-old Alexa moment, oh my goodness, I'm going to New York for fashion, and uh, got to meet her, and she ended up telling several people that we were doing this, so then they came and sat in on what we were doing, and I got to meet maybe three or four different people through there, and that's actually how I ended up meeting the American Foundation for the Blind. Um, some of their representatives were there at the fashion 
action um, photo shoot and started kind of starting that conversation there. So then they started introducing me to more and more people. So really, it started out with um, a call for participants in local Toronto areas. And then Instagram is really what took it off. Um, it's so easy to meet people now online. And with the pandemic, it kind of made it easier almost and less intimidating to be able to meet with so many people, whereas previously the geographic barriers could have caused a lot of problems for being able to get those diverse perspectives, but it just became so normalized to have video calls or phone calls or whatnot. So we really got to reach an entirely new demographic, whereas previously we were working with a lot of individuals who were a bit older, whereas now there are several people that we work with that are as young as like 18 and maybe go up until like their 30s or 40s in addition to those original individuals we are working with. So we've been able to really increase the diversity of perspective, which has been huge for us. But yeah, that's kind of uh, Instagram has been the save here. Yeah, that's really building the the network there. And that's what it's what it's all about. And I don't know. um, I don't know what your what the company is like, as far as how many how many people that work at the company at the moment. But I know I just I know often with blindness, we, we, we talk a lot about employment rate being so low for, for blind people and stuff. So what's what's kind of the, the out, outline of your company? Do you are there people with disabilities, be, you know, working for the company? I find oftentimes blind people are kind of looked at as, oh, we'll we'll consult with them for free on a quick thing, you know, the, to get their knowledge. But sometimes we're not really, you know, at, taken seriously as far as this being an actual important thing to where, you know, and again, it's, it's, money is a tricky topic and it's something we want to talk about more and more on this show. But I'm just kind of curious on the, on the future of your company and, or even where it is at now as far as working with the blind community um, and how that, what your plans are with that. Yeah, no, I think that's a really great point. Uh, unemployment rates within the blindness community are so high and that's really something that we want to work towards changing. So at the very moment, I am the only official employee of iDesign. The only one. The only official one. But like you said, we right. work with quite a few people and we really like to spread that out across the initial brainstorming of what the product could be and just learning more about those lived experiences to then also including individuals in say the writing process or the marketing or in modeling or photography. So for example, in October this past year, we were fortunate to get an interview from BlogTO based in Toronto. And right mm -hmm. after that, we worked and use the set to kind of do another photo shoot. And we hired two visually impaired models and we also hired a photographer. And though the photographer wasn't visually impaired, they did identify as having a different disability. So whenever possible, we wanna include the disability community in any aspect, whether or not that's visually impaired or not. And for those types of projects, we always make sure to provide monetary content sensation. At the moment, we're not at the point to have tons of employees, but the two interns that we currently have, they're both paid. And for any of those really substantial projects, we really make sure to include in um, kind of the financial compensation. Everyone's time is worth something. And I think that's really important to take note of. We don't want to take advantage of anyone. Yeah, that's great. And like we say, you might not think if you think, well, you don't care if you can't see or whatever, but there are blind models. And uh, so that's great that that, like I say, that industry is going to get a, a bump as well. And I believe AMI, uh, you mentioned uh, uh, Accessible Media Incorporated. We've talked about a lot, the company, media company here in Canada. I'm glad you reached out to them. Um, I think I read somewhere that they have a new show called 
fashion yes. discs? I be- were they featured on there or just given as a gift in the gift bag or which was? I'm not sure. So our products weren't featured on the actual show, but it was really great. AMI reached out and actually purchased a bulk order from us and included the iDesign t-shirts that they fashion is for everyone and our masks with custom text. And they sent those out to a ton of different press and uh, media to promote the show. So we weren't on the actual show, but we were part of the promotion. And we're so proud of the actual team and everything that they put together. I think it's just so important. As much disability visibility as we can have. Um, Izzy Camilleri, actually, the designer I mentioned previously that was also in the ROM, she was the main designer on Fashion Diff. So I definitely encourage anyone listening to, uh, to watch that show. It was really great. They did a great job. Yeah, and you have a great you have a great press section on on the website at idesign.com. That's a i l l e design.com. There's a great section on there with all sorts of media appearances and and all sorts of stuff for people to check out and so much on the website. And uh yeah, I think we're kind of running out of time here. Time really flies and care, I don't know if there's anything else you want to finish off with. We've been speaking today with Alexa Jovanovic, founder of iDesign. And yeah, definitely go check it out at iDesign.com. And you're also available on, it's, it would be on Instagram, right? Is that iDesign uh, uh, on Instagram? Yes, Instagram, it's at iDesign and same thing, spelled A-I-L-L-E. Great. Well, it sounds like you got a lot of plans and um, ideas and um, ways of expanding going forward, as we say, Ale, <laughs> uh, into the future. Um, but yeah, it's great talking to you. And um, thanks again for coming on and having this discussion. My pleasure. This has been a fantastic conversation. I appreciate both you and uh, Carrie and Brian so much. Uh, This was really great. Thank you. Send us an email. Outlook on Radio Western at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at Outlook CFB. And on Facebook, facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western.